Today on Keep Classical Weird, Dr. Sophia Taggart and I analyze the concept of classical musicians as interpreted by a filmmaker. And this is going to be full of spoilers. I know it's nine years old, so I don't know what the statute of limitations is on this. But if you do not want this movie spoiled for you, you should turn this episode off now and go watch it. And don't listen. If you like the movie, maybe don't listen. Welcome, friends, to episode 50 of Keep Classical Weird. I am your host, Casey Bozell, and seeing as how it is our 50th episode, I decided that today was movie day. My good friend Sophia Taggart and I both watched the 2012 film A Late Quartet that centers around the lives of four musicians in a professional string quartet. It was the first time for both of us watching it, and boy, did we have some feelings. If you'd like to view the film first, we both found it streaming on Amazon Prime. And now, our first movie review. Enjoy! We watched the movie A Late Quartet, which uh, premiered in 2012, Mm -hmm. so it's almost 10 years old, I guess, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, Christopher Walken, Catherine Keener, Mark Ivanir, Ivanir, and uh, Imogen Poots. And uh, so that was 2012. And for reasons that I think will become obvious later, the hashtag Me Too movement started five years after this movie in 2017. And there are many scenes that suggest to me that this would not be a film that we'd see today. Exactly. Exactly. Even just nine years after (laughs) its release, this would not be this. I don't think it'd get approved. It's got like a 76% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Whoa. Which is pretty high. I would not have scored it that high myself. Mm, Um, Yeah. Okay. So let's, but let's dive in. It opens up on a quartet concert. That's just about to start. The four members. So this um, Mark Evenar plays the first violinist whose name is... Daniel. Uh, Daniel, thank you. I, I kept getting Daniel and Peter mixed up. I also thought it took a really long time for them to tell us the names of everybody, but eventually then that got rolling. Yes. So the first violinist, Mark, even there, is Daniel. Philip Seymour Hoffman plays the second violinist, Robert. Catherine Keener plays the violist named Juliet. She is married to Robert. Mm-hmm. And Christopher Walken plays uh, Peter, the cellist the kind of universally beloved professor type and cello performer. They all come to the stage and they kind of have a look at each other. They dawdle onto the stage. I have never seen a professional ensemble move that slowly (laughs) to to their spots. They just strolled on stage. That was my first thing. I was like, why are they walking so slow? If they were my students, I would be yelling at them. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, like, yes, these people paid money. Get on the stage, sit down and go. And then when they get on stage, they just look at each other for a little while. Implying, I suppose, that is, that's, that's storytelling. I get that. They got to... They got to figure out why. And then we cut to, you know, the four of them in their own separate lives and what they've been up to. I had a real issue with the whole opening scene. Okay. So tell me. I also found it really strange. And maybe maybe it's different in the string world. I don't know, because I I know that some people do like wire stands. But I, I had a real issue with the fact that they're playing in, what was it, Carnegie Hall or something? Or maybe that's Avery Fisher Hall. I don't know my house. Anyway, whatever. But they're using crappy wire stand. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I just don't see that. So I was like, okay, well, that's fine. But then later in the movie, at the house when they're rehearsing, they have like actual Manhasset or winger stands. So I just don't (laughs) understand why they would want to rehearse on good stands and perform on wire stands. Sorry. Yeah. 
The stands yeah. really make a difference. They yeah. have a they have a Baron Rider edition of the Beethoven Opus One Thirty One. It's a it's a hefty book. Baron Rider is a great edition. But yeah, you're right. That's I didn't even notice the stands. It was, I I would guess that would be a filmmaking choice. I think um, so too. Which because they looked nicer, probably in the easier to light. I just but that's the kind of stuff that I find to be silly. You know, like mm-hmm. those shifts, because that that is not necessarily realistic. And then and then continuity for continuity's sake, then just have them practicing on the wire stands at the house that for the whole movie. That's a good point. Yes, I totally agree. Sorry. I totally agree. And I no, I didn't even notice that. I didn't even enter into my mind. But you're absolutely right. We then see what their, you know, normal everyday lives are like. Daniel, the first violinist is is practicing and warming up. Um, he's also a bow maker. Which I guess is not unheard of to have, but to to maintain a solo career and a lucrative enough bow making business seems like you wouldn't have the time for that. But maybe not. He's also, you know, he also lives on on his own. Maybe this is just that's all he does. We see Robert, the second violinist, jogging. He jogs a lot in this movie. That's how he gets out his, I guess, his stress and anxiety. That and other things. And other things. Yeah, we'll talk about that. And then we see, you know, Peter is mourning the loss of his of his wife from nearly a year ago. <laughs> Juliet just seems to be decorating during most of this first <laughs> first opening. She doesn't seem to be doing much of anything else. None of these characters for me were very fully developed, but Agreed. hers especially was just kind of the struggling mother and embittered wife. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. With nothing behind it. They then come into a group rehearsal and they toast each other. They say to the fugue, which we then learn that's the name of their string quartet. What do you think about naming a string quartet the fugue? I think actually, you know, in this case, I think it's fitting because the way the movie is is shaped and they introduce each of the characters in succession. It's like the introduction of the subject each time with a fugue voice. So I think I think oddly enough, that might have I would like to think that that was on purpose and it shows the development of these different characters throughout the whole movie. And they're not highly developed for sure, but you do get a sense of who they are. So I think, I think in that sense, it matches the story, but I don't like it as an actual name. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I would agree with that too. It's a little, if, if a quartet came to me and said, Hey, we have the perfect name for ourselves. We're calling ourselves the fugue. No, I would immediately be like, let's try and top that. Let's workshop that a little bit. Yes. Get what you're going for. But (laughs) Uh, Robert makes a suggestion during rehearsal that he says, maybe this their 25th season, maybe this is the season that we play the Beethoven cycle by heart, which doesn't happen. That doesn't doesn't in the real world. I'm talking about this. Does that doesn't happen. And I don't think any groups play, but, but also the reasoning that they give for that is to be away visually from their markings. Yeah. Like that's never why I play from memory. If I play anything from memory, which has never been a chamber music piece ever, um, never played it. That's, that's, that's never something I played from memory. It's always been solo pieces. It's never the markings I'm trying to get away from. It's a, it's a deeper realization Mm-hmm. of the piece um and they're kind of implying that like oh we could renew this by if we didn't have these silly little markings on our <laughs> music to yeah. distract us and in that case when daniel was like a like dead set against it i was like i am the daniel in this quartet <laughs> i am i am definitely him i side with him um i think yeah i did not i did not think their reasoning was was a legit reasoning at all. Um, If they would have said that it was to maybe explore the piece in a different way, great. But to get away from the markings, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, that didn't make it, that didn't connect with me at all. Also, who did they tune to? All of a sudden, they all just started tuning at the same time. (laughs) Nobody gave an A. So in traditional rehearsals, one person would give an A. And everyone else would either at the same time or one at a time tune to that A and then tune their own instrument. But nobody did that. They just all played an A at the same time. So which A are we going with? That could have been four separate A's. It could have been. Really could have been. Um, Yeah, I think um, 
I think that the tuning situation was not realistic whatsoever. Um, although, you know, at the end of it, like, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, Robert, he always, when he was checking his instrument, he'd always do the little, the little pluck with the left hand or whatever. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, all right, cool. That, like, I definitely hear violinists doing that, you know, at the end of a tuning every once in a while. And I was like, okay, that was kind of realistic. And it was always his character that did it. I wonder if... And that was very fitting to his character, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Bloop, bloop. <laughs> yeah, like kind of just like a um, like a relaxed. It's almost like a nervous habit that I think some violinists have after they tune. It's just kind of a little pluck, pluck. But yeah, I agree. That was that that spoke of a true violinist. They they start into the piece and they stop just a few bars in and they're like, ah, our vibrato is not matching. This isn't working. And and then uh, Peter. Christopher Walken, the cellist says, uh, you know, I'm just not, I'm not feeling myself today. And then the decision is made. Well, should we just reschedule the rehearsal for a week later? Yeah. But like, but who does that? Who makes the, if they wanted to, if they were not feeling themselves, they would have a hundred percent called the other members of the quartet and been like, I don't want to bring you guys all over here because I'm not sure this is going to be productive. Agreed. But did you also notice that the second it wasn't gelling, Daniel's character was like the cello. He just immediately mm-hmm. blamed someone. And I was like, you know, if you're in a group with people for 25 years, you might be maybe a little bit more likely to be, you know, direct, perhaps. However, you don't just say, hey, you're screwing this up. No. You know, the, the in an ensemble like that, you don't immediately place blame somewhere. And that that was something that I was like, that is not what would happen. I'm sorry. At all. No, it takes away from the team mentality. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. It, it, and you're right. That's the, the bluntness and the directness is a total like if you've been in a chamber music group for a long time. But also he gave no real evaluation where he was like, it's the cello. What about the cello? Is the cello out of tune? Is the cello out of tempo? Is the cello's tone different than today? There's, there's no... So, yeah, that's a really good point. I, I, the second he said that, I was, I was appalled. I was appalled. I was like, oh my gosh. And just thinking to, like, the ensembles that I play in, if I were to stop and be like, you, you are the problem. <laughs> <laughs> You wouldn't be in that ensemble for very much longer, would you? No. No. After they decide to reschedule the rehearsal, we then go to um, a neurological exam, which at this point, I'm like, this is the most realistic thing because I don't know enough about neurological exams to know if that's what. (laughs) I do know Um, they check check, uh, for Parkinson's. They do check to see how you walk because um, you tend to not lift your feet up when you have Parkinson's. Oh, Okay. All right. So definitely distinct. It's not an exaggerated picking up of the feet um, that you might do when you're when you're not dealing with Parkinson's. So, yeah. So and like you said, she suspects she suspects Parkinson's. She says, you know, I'm going to give you some medication and maybe it'll give you a little while longer on the cello. But it's it's understood that pretty much his days are numbered as a performer. And then after (laughs) I didn't understand this after a brief scene where Robert tries to, he, he makes coffee and he charms his wife, tries to charm his wife awake with a little bit of sexiness. And she's like, just get away from me. And that's the whole scene. There's no, like, there's no further exploration. I would think as a writer, I would want Robert to be like, you know, we've, we've been struggling with this for a while. Maybe we should go see someone. Or I would want Juliet to say, thank you for making me this coffee, but really this is not, this is not the time or the place. And I don't, maybe we could talk about this later this afternoon, but it's just kind of shut down. And so I think it was just labeled as like, this is an unhappy marriage. And I also think that they were framing it to show why he's going to stray from her later on, which I think is a total cop out. Yeah. So. Oh, agreed. I am of the mind that you do not, do any of that. Anyway, <laughs> I was about to go off on a soapbox. I'm like, I'll I know, save it. I 
Peter also coaches the quartet. Um, a col- I guess it's the college quartet. The first violinist is the daughter of Robert and Juliet named Alexandra. How did you feel um, about her hand position, her left hand position when she played? I didn't look at it too carefully because I was just like, oh, they're trying to like make the camera angles so that there's this. I, I think I think the filmmakers really were aware that like, you look, you're going to know that these aren't professional players, but they did try and make the camera angles as such to like, at least for most people, give a realistic suspense of disbelief. Okay, good. But what do you tell tell me about? Tell me about well, what you noticed. Scene. It was actually, I think, in one of the scenes where she's taking a lesson with Daniel. There's this one spot where it's just a full on shot of how she's holding it. And I I'm not a violinist. I don't know how hand positions should look, but the the second I saw that hand position, I was like, that is not a hand position. So yeah. I I, I guess overall, like I think the four main characters, I I know that they trained. They at least trained mm-hmm. to try and, and I I could see that they had trained, you know, to try and look realistic, and I I appreciated that. But I think they forgot to 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 train the daughter as much. Mm-hmm. The actress who plays Alexandra, I think, is her name. Mm-hmm. So I I feel like maybe she didn't get as much training, and so I could see it more. And it was it was a little horrific. I. It was not, it was very tense. All of them were really tense because it's, you learn where to, you know, obviously when you first learn the violin or any string instrument, you learn where to put your fingers, but the actual like relaxation and fluidity takes years, Mm -hmm. you know, to develop. So that, that didn't surprise me, but that's interesting that like hers kind of stood out. So yeah, she's in a, she's in a violin lesson with Daniel. Daniel has agreed. Peter, Peter asked Daniel to work with her um, to try and really get her to blossom as a first violinist in this quartet. Daniel is very hard on her and tries to get her. And then at one point, Alexandra speaks up and says, could you at least let me finish one measure? (laughs) Have you, so tell me about the, you know, when you talk to your professors like that. (laughs) Um, I would have never said that. Um, uh, I had zero empathy or uh, relatability with the character of Alexandra. I found Mm -hmm. her to completely ridiculous and so when she spoke up like that to Daniel I was like that is not okay Mm -hmm. Uh, I would have never said that to my previous teachers and I had I definitely had a teacher who we spent an entire hour-long lesson on one measure Mm -hmm. and you know what that measure was impeccable by the end of that hour and I'm so you know I I think Oh man, that 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 was a hard scene for me to watch because I I was like clearly this Daniel character is a phenomenal violinist, you know, in in this world that they have created in this movie. So why in the world would you you know be that disrespectful? Mm-hmm. And, and I think you know it's funny. I think non musicians who might watch this would be like, oh yeah, that's ridiculous. They're working on the same you know three notes. But as a musician, I'm like, yeah, she needs to work on those (laughs) for sure. Absolutely. Um, Especially because, you know, obviously she's also working on Opus 131, right? So it's that opening, that opening measure with the pickup note and blah, blah, blah. And so you're, you're listening to her play and it, it sounds like, okay, yeah, it sounds fine. But then when you get, I, I know I'm skipping ahead, but then when you get to the very end and the fugue quartet starts that that quartet mm-hmm. and you hear what Daniel wanted out of it, I found that first measure to be one of the most satisfying things to hear ever, you know? So mm-hmm. for me, I when I, when I heard him play, I, I just wanted to like go find Alexandra and be like, that is why you should have been working on that measure. But whatever. I totally yeah. agree. She's disrespectful. She's disrespectful. I don't like her. <laughs> you and I have both been in situations, I think probably to some degree on the teacher side too, but definitely in the student side where the teacher needs to kind of break you a little bit in order to, because students honestly cannot see everything that needs to be improved upon and done when their ego's in the way. And mm-hmm. so that's a purposeful pedagogical technique and I recognized it right away and uh she kind of had no interest in 
dealing with it. So yeah, I agree with her. I was also very confused about her character in general. Cause I was like, does she, she loves the quartet, but she also resents the quartet. Mm-hmm. But then she's also, I don't, yeah, we'll have to, I'm not sure where she, la- where she lay there. Cause she seemed to really lift up the quartet as like a model, the fugue as a model mm-hmm. of what a quartet should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she has this all out brawl with her mom later on in the episode about, about being in the quartet full time. So yeah. I was so confused as to her motivations. And I, yeah, I, her character was really hard to identify with and empathize with. I just, um, I guess the only time I felt any concern for her was her me too moments, I guess. Agreed. Agreed. Which <laughs> are coming up. The next, the next scene is uh, the infamous, I think this was in all the trailers because I kind of remember it, Robert jogging with his friend Pilar, who was a dancer, and he's introducing classical music to her, and mm-hmm. she's learning more about that, and mm-hmm. she says, you know, don't you ever want to try playing first violin? You're the second violin. <laughs> so this is a whole philosophical discussion if i may if i may start out on the rant and please okay so string quartets first violin second violin viola cello so the first violin and second violin lines generally the first violin is higher in certain periods of quartets the first violin has most of the melody like in haydn quartets mm-hmm. yeah yeah haydn it's sometimes they look like concertos for the first violin they're crazy and everybody else is kind of accompanying the way that they're talking about the second violin in this it seems to imply that a second violin has an accompanist role all the time mm-hmm. which is just not true but i do know of quartets where there are fixed first and second violins like the fugue and i know of quartets who switch and it's because it's what works best for them i have never known a second violinist, a fixed second violinist in the quartet to view the first violin position as some sort of aspiration. Mm-hmm. And this also bugged me too. This is semantics, but sometimes they said first violin and sometimes they said first chair mm-hmm. and they use the terms first chair. That's a total orchestral term. It's not a chamber music term. You don't talk about first chair and second chair in a string quartet. Like first chair and second chair would imply almost that they're playing the same part, but one of them is ranked higher and has more of a leadership position. So this uh, this being seduced by this beautiful woman who, I'm sorry, Philip Seymour Hoffman, may he rest in peace. But we have paired Philip Seymour Hoffman with Pilar, who is a very beautiful, athletic you know, gorgeous model-esque flamenco dancer. And she is into him. Well, I mean, clearly they, you know, they're, they're trying to play up his, his intelligence and his talent and um, maybe the rapport, which I could, I, you know, I can see that happening, but yeah, I, I found it to be very, very interesting the way they, they created that, that dynamic and side note, when they were stupping the whole time during that scene, I was like, oh my gosh, that's my duvet set. <laughs> I was like, I got that bed, bed bath and beyond. Anyway. <laughs> Around that time when this movie came out, actually, that's when I bought that. So it was like, I just, I found that to be hilarious because that was the only thing that I could focus on because I just found their relationship to be a little not believable. Very contrived. Yeah. So I too thought the whole concept of, you know, portraying second violin is lesser than the first violin was absolutely ridiculous. But I have a question for you. Okay. So Mm -hmm. when I was playing with the Des Moines Metro Opera, um, I was playing, uh, I made friends with a lot of the violinists, you know, and and one of them, she and I were talking and, and she was in the second violin section and she was like, I love playing second violin. It's my absolute favorite. I play it all the time. It's the only thing I ever do. And that's in orchestras and chamber music. She loves doing it. And she said, it's to the point now where I'm so used to my 
like playing second violin, it feels weird to suddenly be in the high register physically. She's hmm. so used to having like, you know, playing on the low string, I guess. Is that the low string or I don't Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You're miming this very well. Yes. Thank you. See, I can <laughs> practically be a violinist. Anyway. Practically. So- mm-hmm. So I, and I was, I found that fascinating because I was like, wow, I, I was like, you know, this is, it's its own art form, like playing second violin is its own thing. And, and to be a fabulous second violinist in a chamber group is like, so incredibly important. And so I, I just found the whole idea of, of making second violin look like it's not the top prize to be absolutely ridiculous because I also then thought, well, what about the viola? I mean, poor viola. No, (laughs) but viola has great lines too. Like everyone has a purpose and you kind of develop into those purpose in the quartet and in those roles. And that's just how you play, how you play. Like when I play Mm -hmm. wind, wind quintet, the flute almost always has this huge melodic line. And a lot of the times the oboe is playing in thirds with me, or we might be doing something together, but I'm always higher in pitch. I wouldn't suddenly, like, I wouldn't expect the oboist to suddenly say, I'm tired of playing this part. You have to play oboe and I'm taking over flute now. That's kind of ridiculous t- to me. So I, I yeah. view second violin and first violin as two totally different things that you can't really compare, but that's as me as an outsider. I'm not a string player, so I don't know. But anyway, I view it the same way. And I think it's totally a personal thing. I, I like playing first violinist. Uh, I like playing first violin in the quartet. Sometimes I like playing second violin in the quartet. Sometimes it always depends on who the other violinist is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then there are some violinists that I adore playing second violin to. Like I love working in a team like that. And there are some violinists who I love playing first violin and I feel like we mesh really well in that. But every violinist has a different sound and different strengths and it just works differently depending on the makeup of the quartet. And everybody else really kind of has a point when they tell Robert, like, if you two switch, it's going to change our sound entirely. Agreed, yeah. And they're yeah. absolutely right. Oh, I I should also, I I wrote down in my notes, Pilar encourages Robert to try first violin while stretching seductively. Like oh, she, yeah. she, she really just sticks her butt out at him. And then she's yeah. like, play first violin. So anyway. Yeah. yeah that was, that was an interesting. That, that <laughs> moment was um, so over the top. We then cut to a dinner that the quartet is having um, the, Daniel and Juliet and Robert seem to be very um, casually laughing with each other. And Peter's just kind of watching them. I don't know a quartet that's been together for 25 years that also gets together socially outside of rehearsals. Mm -hmm. That seems, that seems odd, but I guess not impossible. They're all connected kind of in familial ways too. And, you know, that's Peter was a professor of Daniel's way back in the day and, and Robert and Juliet are married and Juliet is, gosh, Peter was married to Juliet's mother at no. one point. No, he played in the same quartet as her. Yes. And and when her parents died, Peter and his wife uh, kind of took Juliet in as uh, as like a daughter. So really, Peter That's and, right. and his, his late wife, who was played by Anne-Sophie von Otter. The, mm-hmm. the, the soprano right they took Jules in and helped her and guided her so it's a very familial situation so that would make sense that would make sense Peter shares the news that he's pretty sure he's got Parkinson's and he's not even sure he can play another concert but if he does play another concert he wants it to be his farewell concert mm-hmm. and <laughs> right after right after this conversation when the three of them are walking home from peter's this is robert daniel and juliet that's when robert decides to bring up the fact that he's like well if peter's leaving we should make some other changes too like maybe that's maybe just wait (laughs) Um, did you ever like the whole time through this um this movie you know they kept talking about nina they kept talking about nina the cellist coming in and 
And it seemed like Nina and Robert had an issue with with each other or something, or maybe it was. I I thought I heard that neat like someone in the quartet didn't like playing with Nina, and so um, I just I found it fascinating that it was this little this little thing that they dropped in, and I don't know why they talked about it. Like, what is the purpose of saying, you know, Robert or Daniel didn't like Nina? What is the purpose of that when? They don't explore it more. Yeah. You know, why don't they like Nina? I mean, yeah. is it because she bobs her head too much when she plays? Okay, sure. But like, I don't know. Like, Let, I don't but know. like, but, but give a reason. Don't just yeah. be like, no. I think, I feel like it was something that they put in to explain why Peter leaving was going to be a disaster because they couldn't find another cellist. And mm-hmm. the one cellist that they, that would fit someone doesn't like and that person will quit. So like, so that they just use that as an excuse to make it more dramatic that Peter's leaving. When in reality, yes. Peter having Parkinson's and leaving is going to be dramatic on its own. Because when you lose someone in your quartet, it's a huge shift. Yeah, all of these are valid. They, let's see. <laughs> the next, there, there are two little mini scenes before the next big thing that happens. And one of them is just Robert and Alexandra, his daughter, just unloading boxes. And I'm not sure what they were doing and that's the whole they're talking about alexander's lesson with daniel and and the way she thought about it and and that was kind of it so peter decides to talk (laughs) peter did suggest yes nina lee nina lee should be my replacement she subbed for me and some other concert she was great she should come in and she should be your new cellist and so in order to facilitate this happening peter goes and talks not with nina but with um, someone that she plays in a chamber group with. Mm-hmm. His name is Gideon. He's played by Wallace Shawn. Vincenzo. Yeah, aka the Sicilian from the, the Sicilian. Princess Bride. Also, this was very weird. He was also one of the two main actors in My Dinner with Andre. Yes. And yeah. the scene that was right there looked very reminiscent of My Dinner with Andre. It was just, it was like in a corner at a table. Um, so I thought that was funny. Why are they discussing Nina? Why are they talking about her while she's not there? And they're well, trying mean, to bargain her away. It's really she's just- a woman. She's a woman, so she can't make these decisions by herself. So, of course, these two white men need to have dinner and discuss what they are going to do with Nina Lee. Mm-hmm. That, and they that's do. That's, it's yeah. basically Peter saying... I think she should replace me. Can I have her? And Gideon is saying, no, you can't have her. She's mine. Mm -hmm. Nina is not present at this conversation. (laughs) Ah. Anyway, uh, we have a quick shot of Peter that is at a movement class for patients with Parkinson's. We'll see flashes of that throughout the movie, just how things are progressing. Um, and then we're at another lesson with Daniel, another Alexandra lesson with Daniel, where we start to get really weird vibes. We sure do. Yeah. Both ways. Although I did say the sexiest part of that scene for me was the catching a catching a shot of her awesome BAM case as she left. It was like one of those old school, like striped, like kind of 70s style BAM cases. I love those. Yeah, that was pretty epic. I, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, that was a weird, a weird moment. Um, and I think that's when I started, that's when I feel like anyone who has, who has now been past the Me Too, Me Too movement where it's been a thing and you, you've, you've seen it come out in, in society and you've maybe even experienced it. Seeing that scene in particular, I think it's like every woman out there would be like, Ooh, I know where this is going. This is bad. This is bad. So, yeah. Yeah. But he's her teacher. Yeah. Like it's that whole thing of, you know, a lot of the blame at the beginning of the me too movement, especially was heaped upon women who put themselves in a situation where they were alone with a man behind a closed door. That is essential to music education and private teaching. Yes. And, That's an essential situation. And I will say, you know, I, I said that I have zero empathy and like I don't identify with Alexandra. Um, and I feel like I feel like I was set up to not like her so that she would take a lot of the blame in that situation with Daniel. You know, I feel like the filmmakers actually 
tried to make her this kind of awful character, in my opinion. Maybe other people liked her. I don't know. But I I immediately didn't like her. And then when I saw where it was going, I was like, that's 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 shifty of the way the film was designed because I already don't like her. And I kind of liked Daniel, you know, and mm-hmm. I know where it's going. And now I have to stop liking Daniel in a way because I'm like, that's sketchy. And then empathize with Alexandra. And I just I I felt like it was designed that way to, to make you feel for Daniel and not like Alexandra. So when mm-hmm. this thing happens, you don't think it's a big deal. Yeah, where in reality, it's a clear abuse of power. Mm-hmm. And Daniel should have ceased as the as the person in power he should have ceased any contact and put her with another teacher mm-hmm. immediately Agreed. after any sort of shiftiness Agre- i and i will say here just in case there's a hashtag not all men thing going on around there i both of my um main uh, professors my main private lesson professors in both undergrad and grad school were males and i never once felt unsafe or put in a situation like that. And I was behind closed doors, just me and a man for long periods of time, but they were professional teachers. Yeah, yeah. And I was there being a student and nothing shady even never came close to happening because we both understood and were very serious about our roles in that situation. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it just depends on the people involved, but um, yeah. yeah, I, man, that was, that whole relationship between those two was weird and yes. unenjoyable. Yes, it was unenjoyable. Yes. Then that's the, that's when the stripping happens after that. That's when Pilar seductively dances at her flamenco bar. Oh, and it's, I should say, Robert storms off angrily to this bar after having an argument about why Juliet didn't back him up in trying to take on a first violin role. Yes, clearly giving him a free pass to sleep with another woman. (laughs) Obviously, because she didn't support him in this one thing. Yes, agreed. How, yes. So he sleeps with Jules. So he sleeps with Pilar. He he leaves his violin at the bar. Did you see? I had that. What? Okay, okay, okay. So first of all, not only did he leave his violin and and I know that sometimes people leave stuff places like I I almost left my flute on a train in Wales in the fall oh. of 2019 and I still have nightmares about it like yeah I didn't even leave it I got off the train and then someone was yelling hey you left something and I got back on and got it and it shook me up enough that two years later, I have nightmares about like actually leaving it. And I found his reaction in the shower being like, oh, I, I left it at the bar. I mean, he swore. But like, yeah, any musician out there who would have realized they left a mu- uh, their instrument somewhere would not have finished the shower. Precisely. No, they would have jumped out. They would have been like, what do you mean? It's not here. Oh my gosh. I left it at the bar. I got to go. Yeah. Yeah. And would have been in a panic. Yes. And he would have been having PTSD issues for the rest of the movie. I mean, that's just what it comes down to because, oh my God, like I had more of a reaction, a visceral reaction when he said he left it at the bar than he did. Yes. It's just a movie. I was like, (gasps) and a bar in New York City. I mean, oh. (laughs) It would have been gone, right? Totally gone. There's no way that would have been still there. Absolutely not. Yeah. No. He then he he retrieves his violin. He meets up with Pilar to discuss their their little tryst. Um, and Jules catches them. Good on her. And immediately yeah, I know. She immediately deduces like, oh, you slept with someone? And he was like, well, yeah, but you hurt my feelings. <laughs> Essentially, he said, you said I wasn't a good enough violinist. So I threw our whole um, relationship in the toilet and went somewhere else. I, yeah. I decided to ruin our marriage and potentially ruin our source of income because you did not support me. This is all on you. Shame on you, Jules. Yet another reason why this yeah this movie is like kind of ridiculous yeah so and speaking of ridiculous 
um, this, I did not get this scene. This, the next scene was when Daniel was bringing Alexandra in the car and she opens the scene saying, let me tell you why the fugue is the greatest quartet. And she continues a very overly poetic description of each individual member. And I'm th- so this is when I was like, okay, so you, I didn't think you were cool with the quartet before, but you are. You hold it up as a model of something that you want to aspire to because you just told the first violinist's quartet. And no, first of all, nobody talks like that. Secondly, he just lets her tell him why she idolizes him, I guess. Well, he's he's using it as an ego boost. He's getting real excited and <laughs> it will culminate in the apartment scene later. Yes. Culminates in the apartment scene. They they went there to source um horse hair. Yes. Uh and you know, she he he gets a whole bunch of horse hair. And Alexandra says, what did you did he come from these horses? And it goes, no, no, silly. They came from Siberia, which means that why did she go along with him here to see horses? She makes she makes a move on him in the stable of the horses. He says, what are you doing? Don't do that. And that is that. Which was the only time that I was like, oh, good. He's going to shut that down. Like, you know, exactly. <laughs> but. He made the right move right there. Yeah. He did not make the right move in a whole bunch of things leading up to then. Like he had to have known yeah. that. Yeah. That was a possibility when he brought her along on this trip. Oh, th- then we're, then we're talking, then we're looking at, I feel like this movie bounced around a lot. It did. It really It was, did. Yeah. It, I mean, it wasn't hard to follow, but I was like, Oh, we're here now. So, um, we're at the auction. Um, Peter has told Alexandra it's time to get a new violin. And so they decide to bid on a violin at an auction that has opened up is presumably somebody's estate that they're selling this violin. It's a really great violin. The violin goes at the auction, not to, not to Robert and Jules as they had hoped, but it goes to somebody else for $25,000. Okay. Please tell me that that is like ridiculously low. That is a steal. That is a steal. And the fact that Jules and Roberts didn't clearly didn't want to go up to $25,000 as professional musicians who have a daughter that they want to buy a really great violin for, they're only willing to spend 20,000. And I know that 20,000 is a lot of money. I get that. But for these instruments, I mean, I was expecting them to be bidding on something at 100,000. You know, Mm -hmm. I guess that was that was what I expected. And when they sold it for 25, I was like, well, it must not have been that great of a violin. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, for a college, at least a college or a professional level sounding violin, that is, I would have done that. I would have bid on that. Mm-hmm. I would have like, if it was as good as they seem to <laughs> say it was, I would have been like 25 that do you hear 26? Yes. You hear 26. I will take that alone. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> for that, that's amazing. And then he yells at the guy on the way out, just like the classy kind of Robert that he is. And he says, you just stole this from a musician. Like, no, he won it at an auction. Yeah. It was pretty clear what happened there. At that auction, Jules and Roberts took a knife to a gunfight. You know, like really 20,000 20, was your max. Good luck. <laughs> you know? Right. And also he also he played it. Like yeah. he must have known that it was worth more than that. If he said, yeah, this is really even, this is in great shape. Yeah. Clearly he never saw the movie, the red violin. Cause that was <laughs> a million dollars, like a million. So. That's the red violin is not in the universe of a oh, late quartet, I guess. It's different. It's like a different multiverse version. I get upset. This is, I have, a, I had a little diatribe in my notes here. I get upset when writers put classical musicians in as characters and that is the full sum of their character. They are not fully like, but the these four characters, I don't know anything about their hobbies. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what, say, uh, Robert and Juliet did on their first date. I um, 
you know, how did, what, what did Daniel and Peter like to do when Daniel was a college student, like outside of his college classes, they are really, really flat characters Mm -hmm. whose entire personality is just wrapped up in the fact that they are chamber musicians. The only one that has even something remotely outside of, of music is Robert with his jogging. Like that's yeah. The only, the only thing, um, but I guess Daniel and Jules and Peter don't like to jog, which is too bad. Okay. So we have learned one thing about them. We have learned that about them. I did like Peter. I did like watching Peter teach the kids. I thought that, I thought he did a good job. Christopher Walken did a good job of like relating and sharing stories and stuff. That was great. Soon enough, Daniel shows up at Alex's apartment and they start to mushin. They stopped. They stopped. Yeah. They for sure stopped. She seems giddy about this. She thinks it's awesome. He seems really giddy about it too. But then uh, her mom shows up (laughs) and she knows it's her mom. So she sends Daniel out. She's like, oh, can't see you. It's too late. Her mom has already seen Daniel's car on the street, as it turns out. Mm -hmm. And then this confusing scene happens where Alex just lets loose Mm -hmm. on her mom and talks about what a terrible childhood she had because her parents were gone seven months of the year. And she said, if I had a child, I would never ever abandon them for that long. And you didn't even give me a mother growing up. And I'm like, where did, but you love this quartet and you want, and you're pursuing this lifestyle. So like, where is this resentment coming from? I, I missed it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I thought that was kind of out of left field. Obviously they did that to give her some more depth because up until that point, she was just this like awful character. Um, (laughs) To me, her rant was just the, the, the epitome of white middle to upper class privilege, you know? Oh, what was (laughs) me? My mommy wasn't around for seven months. Well, you know what? Some of us grew up with, you know, single parents and we were on our own for most of the day, you know, and Mm -hmm. we still can turn out somewhat functional or somewhat functional, not fully functional. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. I was like, there's more credit than that. That's due there. But (laughs) again, I feel like they set her up to be this awful character. They, they want you to not like her, you know? Yeah. And I don't. I, I don't, I honestly, like uh, on paper, it's like you said, they were setting her up to be that way. But when you actually look at the facts, I don't dislike Alexandra. Yeah. I think she's yeah. just trying her best. I liked her a lot better at the end of the movie than I did at the beginning. She actually had maybe some character development in comparison to the other characters. The next coaching that uh, Peter does for the quartet, I wrote down, I wrote down that we achieved peak walking in this scene with this exact <laughs> sentence where he said, yeah. Wow, Pablo Casals. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed that scene in particular. I did too. Um, because I thought it was it was a good point. It's like um the students are there to learn. They're not perfect yet. They shouldn't expect perfection, but they should expect to learn and grow, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and um and I thought I, I loved the example that they used, like with his own experience with Casals and, and just like that whole scene. I really enjoyed it. I think actually the scenes with Christopher Walken, where he's being the teacher, like I think you said earlier, those were some of the best scenes in the whole. Movie. I think that should have been the movie was was not him as a chamber musician, but him as like a beloved teacher and coach dealing with Parkinson's. I would have been much more compelled by that movie. I would have as well. Yeah. And then if we could have just cut out the whole drama with Robert being just a spoiled, spoiled um, human being. Everything that's messed up comes out at the next quartet rehearsal of the fugue. Robert learns that Daniel's been sleeping with Alexandra and punches him in his face with no regard for his violin Oh, were you were you almost like having a heart attack when yes! that started? I and then like when Robert walks off, he actually kicks the violin a little bit. I was like, <gasps> what? Again, Robert has no no understanding of how important those instruments are. 
Clearly, because no. he only wanted to pay $20,000. He only wanted to pay $20,000. He left his violin at a bar, and he didn't care that Daniel still had the violin in his hand. Like, if he wanted to punch Daniel in the face, that's not the issue. But yeah. I feel like any other violinist would have been like, put your violin down. Put your violin down now. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I feel like like musicians who have respect for the instruments will wait until there's no instrument around and then just punch him. <laughs> Yes, precisely. Yeah, no, yeah, it's I, yeah. That scene, I I saw it coming. I was like, oh my gosh, he's gonna he's gonna punch <laughs> it. Put your violin down. Put your violin down. Put your violin down. <laughs> yeah, I know it was it was really terrifying. Um, <laughs> again, our reactions as musicians watching this movie were more. In reality, what would have happened in that moment That's true. Um, than what was happening on screen. I feel like they could have easily shown the stress of the situation with like the dynamic between the three characters and, you know, Daniel having slept with Alexandra and that. And also like layering it with the instruments. I think it would have made it even more dramatic, you know, like, like, oh, yeah. I, I just feel like they they missed out on the extra drama that would have. Yeah. I agree. It's just funny. This is a funny story. This is a little bit of a tangent. I got to play with a Trans Siberian Orchestra one time, which was a super fun. The first, the the only prep we were given is like, here's the stuff you play, and then some stuff's going to happen behind you, and it's fine. <laughs> like they didn't tell us any specifics. They they started out with a rock version of Beethoven Five, and near the end of Beethoven Five, it was ba 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 ba. And on that last one, this wall of flame went up behind us and all of us checked notes afterwards. And our reaction was not to run, but to reposition our bodies so that our violin was farther away from the flame. Yes. We had no regard for our own bodily safety. We wanted to make sure that our violins were not anywhere near the fire. Yeah. That's the instinct that kicks in at that point. Yeah. It's, it's. It is. You you see something that bad that's going to happen in your initial response is to protect, protect your instrument. I know. So unrealistic fight scene. Unrealistic. D minus. D minus. <laughs> Daniel goes back to visit Alex. He has somehow secured the violin that her parents lost out on just with a favor from a friend. And he's made a special bow just for her. I don't know. We are not privy to what kind of quality bows he makes. Could be a really bad bow. Um, Alex can't accept this because she says we need to break up for the good of the quartet. The quartet that she loved and gushed about and then was resentful of and then now loves again. And I feel like we needed a few more scenes before that happened. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, you know, that like that whole that whole relationship. It's hard to really process it because I wish Alexandra's character wouldn't have been taking lessons from Daniel. I wish it would have just Mm -hmm. shown them as like, you know, buddy, buddy because of their parents, uh, the parents relationship with Daniel and and whatever. I feel like adding the student in there detracts from the, the emotional growth that Daniel has throughout the movie because now you just look at him as a creeper, but like if, if, if you, if, and this is a lecture we, we, we have with movies, if we can like rethink the movie and recast it, not as the daughter or not as the student, but like just a family friend, which is also kind of creepy, but not as bad with that student teacher relationship. Um, I think you can see Daniel going from this like robot perfectionist character to someone who has more feelings, who who finally kind of explores them through his relationship with Alexandra and then, you know, finally opens up and then um, immediately reverts back to his original state, you think, after she rejects him. So I feel like that character development is masked and covered by the creepiness factor of the daughter slash his student. And I think that does a disservice to the character development of Daniel throughout this movie. You know, this this movie, I, I feel, had a lot of potential. I could see yep. what they were trying to do. I just don't think it was 
developed and and like he said at the very beginning this movie would not get a green light after the me too movement right Mm -hmm. but could get a green light if they would have redone who alexandra was and how she you know meeting daniel or whatever so you're talking about re-envisioning the female characters of this movie as fully formed people yeah and and trying to get rid of those obvious power relationships issues that resulted from how it was written so um yeah i just i yeah i was kind of disappointed with that whole situation i was I I actually really wanted Daniel's character to develop from a robot into a more caring, feeling person and be more open by the end of the movie. And like, like it would have been so great if when Peter finally left the the quartet, those other three characters had finally developed into actual grownups with feelings that they weren't too emotionally young and immature to handle um, and then Peter could have felt like, you know, it took me 25 years to get them there, but they're finally emotionally mature, you know? Yeah. That didn't happen. There was too many issues with the. Whole That'd be a nice story. I like that story. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. I'm I, really at the heart of it. I should have been a, um, a screenwriter. You should have, well, you should have been this screenwriter, I think yeah. <laughs> for this movie. There's a brief scene where we do see uh, and Sophie von Otter playing, playing the late singer, late upper singer Miriam, because uh, Peter imagines her. She and she, it's it's a recording of her singing the, uh, what is it, the Todstadt by Korngold. I thought it was an interesting choice that they they used the Korngold in that scene. It was beautifully sung, and yeah, uh, and Sophie von Otter is like so amazing. Um, yeah. I actually really liked that scene. He contemplates for a moment, ending it all right there. Yeah. Like to the boat that he actually goes out and considers flinging himself, considers flinging himself over the roof and then, and then rethinks it. And then we're back at the performance where we had our opening scene. Yes. So the, what we've, we've learned a lot about Opus 131 throughout the movie, but we've learned it seven movements to be played attacka without pause Nice. Um, if I'm, thank you. Um, I get why he had to say that dialogue. Like, let's, let's, let's let everybody know what a talking means. That's fine. But he says that a few times in the yeah. movie. And, um, so they get through six movements. Everything's going great. In the middle of the seventh movement, Peter just stops playing yeah. and he stands up and he says, I, I can't, I can't finish. I'm done. Fortunately, this Nina Lee, we finally get to see Nina Lee. I know. Thank goodness. I was. Thank goodness. She Uh, was a, she's a real person. He had Nina Lee clearly on call just in case something happened because she was like dressed and ready backstage. This. Okay. I've, I've got to tell you up until this point in the movie, I was, I, I, I was definitely rolling my eyes pretty hard a lot during this movie. I, I was, I, I felt the melodrama was, ridiculous i the character development was not really what i was looking for i didn't like a lot of the characters but this moment when he stopped in the middle of the performance and said he couldn't go on this like the this whole thing when he gives his speech and they bring out nina actually when they brought out nina this I burst into tears. This <gasps> wow moment, and like even thinking about it, I still I still get a little like upset because I, I I was just thinking about how you know as musicians when you when you're about to walk on stage, especially in a chamber performance setting, you know you walk out there as a group. You are emotionally prepared to play this music with the people that you walk on stage with. It's, it's a very, it's like a, it's a vulnerable moment, right? You walk mm-hmm. out on stage and you're like, I am for the next 45 minutes, I am going to be emotionally and mentally connected with these, these other three people. Right. And it's just this, um, it's actually one of my favorite moments of performance is like the moment you walk out together, because to me, that is, that is where the, the performance starts, that's where you're suddenly connected, right? And I just, I had this moment when he stopped and Nina walked out. 
And I just was like, God, the emotional shift you would have to go through knowing that you just played six and a half movements with this person. And now you have to shift and connect with a, for a new person in the moment. I, me sitting and watching this movement or this movie, I couldn't handle it. I broke mm. out into tears and I was like, Dang it. I was like, I can't believe after, you know, an hour and a half of ridiculing this movie in my brain, I had an emotional reaction to it. I was like, dang it. But for me, that was that was the most real moment in the entire movie. Because, mm. you know, Catherine Keener's character, she you can tell she's she's upset and she's really having to like gather herself and she's got to play this movement. Even Robert looks, you know, like, oh my gosh, and Daniel. And the only people that don't look emotionally affected by this was when they panned out to the audience. The audience. Because <laughs> like, I've been in an in a, an audience setting when they when you know something went wrong and they had to stop. And I you can feel the audience get nervous like oh my gosh what's going on but the 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 reaction was like dead they're like yeah it's oh, like okay oh, cool he stopped they stopped and now he's getting up he's gonna say something it's like to me in the audience i would be like this is there's something going on here and i would feel anxious you know mm -hmm. so i don't know for me that was the most real moment except for the audience that and i just like I literally, I, I bawled through the rest of the seventh movement. I, I was Aww. like, yeah, it was so weird. I did not. Wow. That, that wow. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. I, I think also that was the first time throughout the movie that I, I feel like Catherine Keener's character was able to really show herself, you know, like she mm -hmm. kind of, because kind of, throughout the whole movie, she's just like, so level-headed or something i mean even when she catches her husband cheating she's like you know very yeah. and what have you and so just to see her finally release some of that with the crying and i i don't know that that scene was god it kind of wrecked me and oh I, man a little angry about it <laughs> you were angry that it wrecked you yeah i was like dang yeah. it <laughs> that wasn't supposed to happen we meet Nina Lee finally. So Nina Lee, um, that, you know, they had a, oh gosh, I I'll go look up the quartet who did the, um, recording for all of the music that they were playing. She's the cellist in the quartet that actually was, did the live recording. I wasn't sure how good of a cinematic choice it was to actually show her alongside the other three, though I did notice it was mostly distance shots because she's a professional musician mm -hmm. and, she, to me anyway, I'd be interested to know what other people think about this. To me, that increased the gap in between like a professional musician and those who have just been training to kind of look like one. So I wasn't sure that was the best cinematic choice. But again, I'm not, I'm not a director. They decide since Daniel has left, they decide to go ahead and close their books and get away from the markings entirely that have kept them together. And they do the seventh movement from that should go four bars before mm -hmm. the seventh movement. I thought they were going to start all over when Daniel was like, <laughs> I was like, uh, the seventh is built upon the, the other six. So if you'll indulge us. And I was like, are they going to play the whole thing again? I thought they were going to go back to the beginning of six. That's what I thought. But oh, okay. Clearly not. Yeah. Yeah. No, four bars, four bars before. And then they play the seventh movement. Um, Peter goes and sits by Alexandra, who was sitting in the very back row, mm -hmm. like literally against the wall, last row of the entire auditorium. Um, I don't know. If, I wonder if that was her choice or like they just couldn't get couldn't get her a ticket any closer. Uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the times when you get a comp ticket for your family, they've always got like these awful seats, right? In That's true. So I, I was like, I was like, that's a really terrible comp ticket, but but it's a comp ticket. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it was. And that that's that's the movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Did you like the movie, Sophia? No. <laughs> um, I mean, I think there were some things that were actually pretty representative. 
Um, you know, some of the dysfunction, you know, that does happen in chamber groups, you know, um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of drama that can, can accompany that stuff. Um, uh, there's a lot of stuff that was not realistic. Like let's cancel the rehearsal and meet next week. That doesn't, that's just not a thing. And a professional group prepping a new concert, the movie, they only had two rehearsals and they both and ended poorly. Like when were they rehearsing, rehearsing? Like, so there were a lot of things that just were completely unrealistic. Right. But then there were some other things that I thought, yeah, okay, that could happen, you know, but overall, I did not enjoy the movie. But I'm, I, I was very shocked at how much of an emotional reaction I had in in the last scene. I, yeah, I, I truly was not expecting that. I didn't feel invested in any of the characters when they got to the final concert, right? I was not really invested. Right. But just that moment, it just reminded me of how emotionally you're invested when it's an actual group <laughs> when you walk out on stage just that that community and that that bonding and the way you play with each other and so that for me I I'm thankful I watched the movie to remember that you know how that feels to have that connection but uh I did in general I did not really like the movie I still but I do love all those actors I mean I I <laughs> You know, I, I, I do love all of them. I just, um, I just don't think it was my favorite movie. I wish the story had been a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I wish, I wish the, the, the people that we disliked, especially, I wish they had, they were offered more of a redemptive arc. You know, it started with, uh, whatever, four deeply flawed people mm-hmm. trying to put together this concert and it ended with four deeply flawed people putting on the concert. <laughs> yeah. um, it's not that the flaws had to be fixed, but like there, there's not really an attempt for change or evolution with any of the four members of the quartet. They're still, you know, yeah. they're still the same people they were at the beginning of the movie. I think, I think in the end, there were so many other storylines and ways they, that this same quartet could have pre- been presented that would have made it better. Like even, you know, they could have played up the fact that to the world, they seem like this perfect quartet and behind closed doors, they're super dysfunctional. They could have, yeah. they could have explored that more and really, um, you know, had them be very aware of how they were presenting themselves, you know, PR wise, I, I, they could have done that. They could have done the teacher story with uh, Christopher Walken. He did a great job. I, I thought, especially with that material that he was given, yeah. he did a really great job. I think that the story had, other better ideas in it that they could have explored. Yeah. The a storyline was not its strongest one in a different multiverse. I think it, it probably was explored differently. Maybe in the multiverse, the the red violin exists. What did you think of a late quartet? We'd love to continue this conversation. So find us on our Facebook or Instagram page or shoot an email to keepclassicalweird at gmail.com to give us your opinion. And that's our show for today. Many thanks, as always, to my wonderful friend and colleague, Dr. Sophia Taggart of Washington State University. Our theme music is composed by not-dead composer Thomas Barber. Find more of his stuff at thomasbarber.com. Web development support is provided by Tina at citybeautifuldesign.com. Keep Classical Weird is created and edited by me, Casey Bozell. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And here's to the next 50 episodes. Stay safe and stay weird. <laughs>